Hello there and welcome to the first ever African HQ podcast. Ahmed, this is it. The moment has arrived. How are you doing, Mr. Ahmed Osman? Yes, sir. I am I am extremely excited to, to start the first podcast of, uh, of African HQ. Huge project. Um, and it's safe to say we have a huge guest as well with us to to you know uh, for the occasion it's going to be it's going to be a great show absolutely Ahmed you needed some cheering up after your torrid summer with your <laughs> Africa Cup of Nations being nothing short of a disaster joining us today is head of African <laughs> content at goal um, Mr Ed Dove Ed thank you for joining us how are you not not bad thanks I hope when uh, Ahmed introduced me as a huge guest he didn't mean physically a huge guest otherwise I uh, I'll take it as a compliment thank you thank you very much <laughs> no, well, not quite. It. Okay. Um, so, this podcast, if you've just joined us for the first time, if you're wondering what it's about, it's African football in English. That's almost over a billion people in the continent of Africa, and most of them are indeed football supporters. And, guys, we're going to get straight in there. We've just had the biggest ever, literally, of 2014 Africa Cup of Nations. And mm -hmm. I want to get your thoughts on how Egypt did hosting it, Ahmed, and uh, your thoughts, Ed, on the expansion of the tournament and whether that had a positive or a negative effect. So we'll start with our guest, Ed. Yeah, so obviously we saw, from my, from my personal point of view, I was quite excited about the expansion because it meant that we'd get to see some of the players, some of the teams that we we don't usually see as much of competing at this level, competing against some of the continent's bigger sides. Um, for me personally, it's, it's really exciting to get to see some of the players who you've watched competing in the local leagues, competing in the CAF Champions League, um, testing themselves against, against tougher sides and more experienced players. Um, and so I personally enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't say it was a failure, but I certainly think that um, some of the performances from some of the, I guess, minnows, suggests that there is a gap to be bridged there between maybe not top 16 and the rest, but maybe the top 20 and the rest. Because I certainly think some of the the newer faces didn't perhaps do themselves, didn't truly do themselves justice on the big stage. Ahmed, do you think Egypt handled hosting it well, particularly with them coming in very late as the hosts? I think organising it, they were brilliant. I think, uh, you know, obviously the weather and, and, and changing the, the timing of AFCON from the winter to, to the summer was the, was always going to have question marks over it, especially with the weather here uh, in Africa. But uh, I think uh, people were able to cope with it well. Um, obviously, former Al-Ahli player and, you know, Egyptian um, player Mohamed Fadl took over the organisational part of, of the tournament and he was head of the organisational committee and he did a great job, you know, there was a, I went to a few games, I've met him, he's a, he's a lovely person um, and, you know, he's an extremely hard worker, so that was, that was uh, something I found out about, about him and, uh, and, you know, he, sp he spoke to me actually, I was just a fan, I saw him going around stadiums in a, you know, panicking actually, in a way, trying to make sure everything's perfect, he was telling me, you know, um, how, how much uh, he enjoys doing this and, and how much he wants to keep continuing helping Egyptian football grow. So that's one part of it. But I think I, I think as a nation, we did amazing hosting this tournament. Uh, you know, look at the stadiums. Um, I was actually talk, speaking to, to Ed off record saying how, how uh, previous tournaments had awful, awful pitches. Um, and I don't know how the CAF allowed, to, allowed these stadiums to be, um, to be hosting such such a, a massive tournament, um, but but with 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 Cairo, with Egypt, with the other cities, you know, um, Alexandra, so where's they, the, the facilities, the stadium, 
them, um, everyone, the, the volunteers. I went, I went as a as a fan to, to most matches in in in, uh, in, in Cairo, and, and the experience was was uh, was brilliant. Um, I I just can't I can't you know I can't, I'm trying to envisage like if they were actually given more time to, to organize this if it wasn't stripped of Cameroon then uh, then how much better could it have been um, so yeah on organizational point of view it was absolutely brilliant um, you know they were they were they were hands down one of the best uh, uh, you know organizational committees and and the organization for the tournament was just uh, was up there with one of the best for me but what we saw was that with the expansion there would be yeah. more fixtures which meant fixtures had to be played earlier in the days and with the tournament being moved from the winter to the summer we often mm -hmm. saw the early kickoff produce very little goals and very little quality football players taking two or three water breaks in a game ed do you think the early fixtures in the heat affected a lot of teams progress we saw morocco play a few games in the early fixture really struggling to break teams down in the heat do you think that played an impact on the tournament the heat yeah, I certainly do. I remember being at the uh, Uganda DRC game. Uh, it was day two. It was um, the first match for those two teams. And I remember Uganda scored early through Patrick Kadu. And then Emmanuel Okwi added a second uh, around half time. And one goal down, or one goal up, you're in so much control. You're in, you're in a strong situation anyway, but you're in so much more control when the team have to break you down in those hot conditions. And I certainly felt that game set the tempo a little bit, set the tone for the early kickoffs because once one team took a lead and then were able to control the game more, it, you really saw the energy and the the determination, the belief sapping out of their opponents. And that match, DRC obviously was subpar in that in that match. They'd had tricky preparations the day before, but the game was over by kind of the 50-minute mark, really, because um, Uganda had taken, taken so much control over the contest. Um, in terms of Morocco, whether it affected them, I mean, I think, I think maybe it did because I think, for example, in that Namibia game, the early game where they only progressed due to a late own goal, I think in that kind of game, and maybe it was a theme from Morocco throughout, they were a little bit off their usual fluid, uh, lightning uh, best. And I think when it comes to breaking down resilient teams, that difference can actually have a huge impact in when, if you get to make the breakthrough. Yeah, I think definitely the physical side of the game came into play a lot. And the eventual winners, Algeria, never actually had an early kickoff game throughout the tournament. They were always playing when it was dark. But Ahmed, that's why Egypt always gave themselves a late kickoff. And they didn't matter in the end. Well, that's the thing. It helped you in the end. You know, I, I, I genuinely think um, the Egyptian side had everything um, in their favour. Um, and with previous tournaments, especially... Uh, in Egypt, when Egypt have, have played at home, they, they've been, you know, almost unbeatable in terms of the, the fans and the backing. But one thing I realised in general is that um, when I went to most of Egypt's games, and well, not most of them, I went to all of them, it, it, it wasn't like 2006. 2006 felt like m much more louder. It was, it was less of a family occasion. It was more of um, die-hard fans, young young kids, young teenagers uh, involved ultras. It involved a lot of a lot of noise. It was much more hostile. When I went to games, um, uh, obviously in, in this tournament, it, it was it was more families. It was more kids. Um, it was more of a, pa a party atmosphere, and um, I, th I think uh, Egypt missed that. Um, and, and I think throughout the 
Bournemouth, they never ever got out of out of first gear. Uh, I think if whenever they did do something um, exciting, it was either it was either from from the predictable, it was either from Mo Salah or, or Mahmoud Hassan Trezeguet. Um, and other than that, the, the team was flat, was really really flat attacking wise. Um, disappointing and, and a complete embarrassing uh, embarrassment from my point of view. One thing I would say about the, the atmosphere in the Egypt games, it felt like. The, the fans pack the stadiums very early, possibly because of the security outside the grounds, because of the logistics getting to the stadium, the traffic. And so the atmosphere before kickoff and around kickoff was absolutely electric. But it almost felt like fans had almost burnt themselves out a little bit because the atmosphere as it was maybe 10 minutes before kickoff or 15 minutes before kickoff mm-hmm. was never really replicated to that same kind of fervor during games, really. And I, I wonder whether, to what extent, that also played a part. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Ed, because I went to the first game, um, the, the obviously the opening ceremony. So because of the opening ceremony, it was un, you know we understood that it was good, the gates were going to open at twelve o'clock, twelve noon, um, on on a on a Friday after Friday prayers. Everyone's finished. Obviously, a highly religious country. Um, so as soon as as prayers finished, um, people were really excited to get involved, and and you know if you had tickets, you really wanted to get there as early as possible. So actually. Because you wanted to make sure that you, you missed the traffic, as you may know, Cairo, one of the busiest um, cities in in, uh, in Africa, people were left straight away. I think when I went there, it was about half twelve, uh, about one ish, and it was just about starting to fill up. By three o'clock, the stadium was three quarters full, um, and it was really really strange. And if it wasn't three quarters full out, inside the stadium, there was a lot of fans outside, and they were they were just waiting for the right time. Um, obviously, gates closed early that day. I think it was 4 p.m. So, yeah, I couldn't agree with Ed more. Um, security fears played a huge role in, in the in the atmosphere in the stadiums. I was somewhat surprised. I mean, my uh, as I'm sure you guys can imagine, my planning when it comes to tournaments is pretty excellent. Rarely, rarely late going stadiums. Rarely, rarely caught out in that respect. <laughs> However, um, Uber drivers in, in Cairo didn't really seem to know the city that well. Obviously, it's a bit bigger than Liverpool, which is where I'm from, but in Liverpool, if you tell me how to get, to, like, where, how do you get to Rodney Street, how do you get to Dale Street, how do you get to Hardman Street, Hope Street, I can, I can pretty much get there. Yeah. You ask Uber drivers in Cairo to get to Cairo Stadium, not easy. Not easy at all. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's, it's uh, long, long, sticky drives down uh, streets that were clearly closed, but, um, yeah. It was... Yeah, I agree with you. It's, uh, it's. I think they're mostly the, the Uber drivers that, um, uh, that obviously are in Cairo here. That the company's only been here for about four or five years, um, and and they're mostly people, probably privileged people that that earn uh, a good living that just want to do it as an extra job. And and I think in general, when I spoke to most Ubers during the tournament, is that they do all their work, or or, or um, they navigate to different places, whether it's Cairo Stadium or a less profile. Um, area they do it through GPS. They don't really know where they're going. If you ask me, they just go through the GPS. So that's mm. something that that was uh, slightly strange. Um, if you want to go somewhere in Cairo where you actually uh, <coughs> someone knows the, the easiest route, you've got to get a taxi. Uh, unfortunately, then you've got to have to to bargain your, your yourself your way towards a, a good price with a taxi driver, which is almost impossible here in Cairo. So uh, good luck with that if you're coming to Cairo. Yeah, spare a thought for the poor. Suez Uber driver after Ivory Coast Algeria game, so <laughs> the match, the penalties. Then it went to. Uh, then you had the press conference, the interviews, and everything. So it must have been two and a half hours after kickoff, and uh, he was probably like winding up for the night, ready to get home to his family. And he met, he met me and a group of uh, Guinean journalists who asked to go to uh, 
to Cairo, which was uh, bad news. Good, good, a good night's work, but a long, a long drive. A long drive. <laughs> right, I saw some people were travelling on Uber motorbikes. I don't know how how true that was. Apparently, that's how some journalists were getting around on Uber motorbikes. Yeah, you didn't always see them again though, after they took one, so that was that always worried me. <laughs> well, <laughs> probably Egyptian since they went out so early. Right, let's um, let's move on to some continental club football in Africa. The CAF Champions League is back, but as ever, we seem to always be talking about the previous editions football. Now, the new season has kicked off, and the qualifiers are more than underway. But we've only just finished finished closing the chapter of the previous tournament in which Tunisian side Esperance won it, then didn't win it, but have indeed now won it for the second time in a row. Not the third time in a row, the second time properly. So, Ed, who was to blame for this diabolical mess of this CAF Champions League final? The first leg had a couple of contentious decisions, but it still finished humanely. The second leg, it got really ugly. Who's at fault here? And have they come to the right decision? The first, the first question, I think, um, it depends a little bit on whether you believe uh, we dad that they weren't informed or that they were informed about knowing that VAR wasn't working ahead of that second leg. Because if they were informed that VAR wasn't working, then I think it was... I think arguably they're to blame for reacting in the way they did after the goal was disallowed. Yeah. I think if they weren't informed, then Cafford to blame for not informing the two teams that um, that VL was not operational. In terms of the actual pre-final reasons for why there was no VAR, it's very hard, I think, to to point the finger of blame. I think if if Caf before the final had issued a statement and said listen, yeah, I won't be operational in this match because of this, this, and this reason. Both sides, neither side is disadvantaged more than the other. You know, we're going to look into the reasons as to why this has happened. I think then people would have been, that would have nipped in the bud any potential, well, not any potential, but this kind of controversy. And I think that people would have been much more forgiving, perhaps it's naive to say, people would have been much more forgiving if any such kind of incidents happened. But the fact there was that ambiguity going into the game perhaps for the teams, certainly for the public. Um, I think they, they perhaps made a rod for their own back then. Um, has the right decision been made? Very tricky to say. It's, it's, it was almost an impossible situation. I mean, you couldn't give them both the title. You couldn't give, you couldn't give wide out a title that they hadn't won. You couldn't... Could you, if, if, if the teams were, were told it beforehand and Esperance then uh, were denied it, that would have been an injustice. Um, and you can hardly kind of have no champion after a whole tournament. So it was almost like there was going to be no right answer to that that question, really, unfortunately. I just couldn't understand. Why would mm. Casablanca complain if they'd known the VAR wasn't working? They must have not been told, surely, Ahmed. Otherwise, why would they have protested if they'd been told? They, they, in my opinion, I, I, for me, like, for me looking at the match... I was so confused. How could how could it be so unclear, um, or how how could it not be told to the media at least that the the the, the VAR isn't working? Like, um, in my opinion, I think they weren't told because I think when you're not told about something like that, um, you, th- th- that's the reaction you get. The, the the reaction you saw from the players not to play, from the officials, um, from from obviously the, the officials of, of from with dad. Uh, 
it was it was complete shock and and actually it was clear if if the if the referee could just go see on a, on a on the TV screen in my opinion that would just clear it up but the whole stadium was unclear about what was going on um the referee didn't know what was what he wanted what he, what he was going to do he was waiting for for CAF president Ahmed Ahmed to come down um CAF president Ahmed Ahmed didn't know what to do um and and then you have to you have to put you know you have to say that you have to ask the question sorry what why does this always happen you know, with uh, with African competitions, you don't see that type of thing happening in Europe. You don't see this thing happening in Asia. Um, you know, in in any continent other than Africa. Um, and, and actually, ironically, the, the UEFA Champions League uh, game happened right after, and you could see the difference uh, in in organization, in uh, in in you know, in preparation, everything. Um, the way I saw it, I, I agree with it. And any, you know, any decision Kaf would have made, any decision Ahmed Ahmed would have made, um, would have would have had one party um, absolutely fuming at the decision. The way I would have seen it would have been doing the uh, the, the original decision, which was doing um, a rematch in a in a in a destination or, or a stadium or a country or whatever you want to say, um, where it's neutral to both sides. And just just one game. Let's see who's the champion of Africa. And that to me would have been the fairest way of doing it. And the problem with doing that is then you set a precedent, almost that teams can protest a VAR-related issue in the hope of getting a rematch. And that would almost then teams would perhaps be encouraged to take the risk. You know, oh, we may as well just uh, walk out on this game in the hope that we'll get a second chance to win the game at a later date. And so I think that would set a very mm-hmm. problematic. I think if you, because you look at the way Cameroon behaved at the uh, Women's World Cup, for example, and obviously there's been a lot of debate around the rights and wrongs, the justices and injustices of that performance. But I think if if the officials on that day had almost bent to what Cameroon had been protesting in the same way that CAF did for the Esperance Weedad game, mm-hmm. you would have raised, you would have got into a whole, you would have opened a whole other bag of worms about, well, how, you know, the next time this happens, do then you kind of agree to another automatic rematch in a neutral venue. I think one thing that hasn't really been investigated is um, that famous photograph of Mohamed Nahiri who held up the broken VAR <laughs> and yeah. was, uh, in sense after the match because he insisted that uh, Tunisia had um, sabotage the screen and obviously the VAR appeared to be working there's a photograph of the VAR screen showing the game before the match so it yeah. appeared to be working at one point and then you see him holding up this grey screen and maybe I've not seen much kind of journalistic investigation or uh, but I've not necessarily been following the, the Tunisian or the Moroccan press but I've not really seen much of an inquest into that how that happened which um, would maybe clear up some of the confusion. Well, another thing I don't understand is that when you have VAR in play, like or women are told to keep their flags down for tight offside calls, even if they look slightly off, they're told to keep their flags down. And it was mm-hmm. a tight offside call, and the Lino still put his flag in the air, which means he was adamant that the player who scored was offside when he was clearly on. That's what I don't understand. They they must have not, be, they must have been aware VAR wasn't working because those sorts of things, the protest and the linesman putting his flag up. Is what happens mm. in the pre-VAR age, and I find it baffling that the linesman had the guts to put his flag up when he knew that this could potentially happen. The first leg, there was already the, the another penalty incident. There was a red card incident, and they mm. just fueled the fire even more, Ahmed, by raising that flag. 
Yeah, it, it, you know, you've said it, you've said it, and and you're absolutely correct. It's um, it's really strange. Some really like um, I I don't know. It, it can't be justified. Um, what's been going on with with certain um, you know, certain officials, certain uh, um, referees, certain linesmen. These are really simple rules. I really don't get what's so difficult about it. So, um, like, like you said, and like Ed said, it's um, it's amazing how one catastrophic event or one catastrophic decision um, from whoever, because we don't know, we haven't done our, 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 you know, no one's actually researched and seen what's actually happened with the VAR, can, can cause so much chaos. Um, and in turn puts you know, a dark cloud over African football. Because let's be honest, it's, it was a very, very dark day for African football. I think CAF were lucky that the AFCON rolled around very quickly afterwards and mm -hmm. that that went off without a hitch. There were no major controversies or scandals apart from uh, certain journalists, including one of whom is included in this, uh, this chat, not getting their accreditation. Um, so I think generally, you know, they were... They were lucky in that sense that the attention was taken away from them, and they had a very quick chance to, uh, I guess, prove themselves again or kind of re reset the the narrative around African football. Yeah. Which they didn't do entirely because obviously there were the scandals around Arbin and Kaf before the tournament, which uh, haven't yet been resolved completely. But um, it was it was lucky, I think, for Kaf and for the African game that the the tournament came when it did. Absolutely. Right, now let's move on to the actual season of CAF Champions League football. Uh, the qualifiers are underway and uh, our usual suspects are back in town. Of course, the top, top tier teams have already got a spot in the next round. But um, guys, who do you fancy for this season's CAF Champions League? Obviously, the Tunisians we've just spoken about have won it twice on the spin. Very difficult to win three in a row. Um, are Ashley coming back after winning by basketball scores? Are we going to see the South African sides come back into contention? Are our Algerian clubs going to finally get their act together? No. Uh, who do you two think is the real favourite for the CAF Champions League? I'll let Ed go first. Well, on the point of South African teams coming back into it, I think uh, no, because we saw Orlando Pirates obviously get eliminated by uh, Green Eagles in the previous round. And obviously, Sundowns are there and will be there again. And, uh, yeah, I don't think it's beyond them to go further than they did last year. But I think it's a, it's a real shame that, um, because of the timing of, of Mr. Stradojevic's exit, that Orlando Pirates won't be able to build on their undoubted progress under him, their, their, their very positive title tilt last season. They, they, were, they were in it until the penultimate game. Um, and so it's a shame that they won't get the chance to kind of have that third season under him in Catholic. Uh, Champions League, so it would have been great to see how they would have done. Now, in terms of answering your actual question, I think the as ever the two Tunisian sides, the two Moroccan sides, and the two Egyptian sides will be contenders. I think uh, in terms of Esperance, though, they've lost um, of that title-winning team. They've lost uh, Frank Com has gone to uh, the Middle East. Um, Gaylan Shaleli has gone to Turkey. Um, Koulibaly is coming to the end of his contract at the end of this calendar year and Belaili is left for um, the Middle East as well so that's a significant amount of talent that you're losing from that from that side and I I question how quickly they'll be able to replace that and to what extent they'll be able to have the same impact in the latter stages of the competition without those those key names. Obviously guys like Anis Badri will still be there and will still be 
difference makers, but I just wonder whether this Esperance team is coming to the end of its fine cycle. Um, I guess I could say similar things about uh, We Dad. However, I really I think they've kept the spine of their team much more effectively, and I I think um, I think yeah I think they could they could go at least to the final again um, this time around. They've lost Ben Mohammed as well, haven't they? He went to La Havre. Uh... I'm going to have the Yeah, he's a London-born player, actually, funnily enough. Uh, what about you, yeah. Ahmed? Uh, ben Mohammed is a, is, is a player that caught my eye a few times, especially with, an, with the Tunisian national team. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with, with Ed. I think the Tunisian side, uh, the Tunisian side, um, Esperance, are, are, are huge favourites, even though they've lost. Just before, actually, we, we recorded, we were just telling me that belali has gone to the Middle East, which has disappointed me because he's had a brilliant... Um, a few months, you know, winning two massive tournaments, and I was even saying that he he was he definitely deserved to play uh, for for uh, for one of the top sides in Europe, um, especially maybe in France. Um, that would suit him to a team, in my opinion. Um, Esperance are, are, you know, they, they've lost a few of their players. Ben Mohammed is a is a is a player that's gonna going to really uh, be a loss for them. Uh, I love Anis Badri. I love watching him play. I think he's uh, technically brilliant and I think he, he, he's a difference maker. Um, but he's going to miss Bilaley. And I think Bilaley was the, was, the, was, the, uh, was the player to watch out for last season for them. And um, he put up some, some really brilliant performances, especially in the latter stages of the tournament. Um, I guess with that, I think he's a, he's a stunning, stunning player. Um, I think Ahli Zamalik... Um, I'm going to start with Ahli. I think Ahli... Um, have a really, really good side. Um, you look at um, on loan Huddersfield player um, Ramadan Subhi. Um, on his day, he is, you know, uh, as as uh, as good a creative player you'll find in Africa. Um, problem with him is he's in- incredibly inconsistent. Um, Hussein Shahad came from UAE, um, Al Ain, um, obviously UAE Player of the Year last season, and uh, he joined Al Ahli on a, on a massive record deal, five million dollars. Um, and, and actually was expected to hit the ground running, and, and he struggled this season um, with Al Ahli domestically. Um, and and uh, I actually thought he, he would uh, he would be a massive difference maker this season. I think he's the he's a player to watch. I think he's uh, on his day. He, you know he has immense speed. He's brilliant with his with his feet. And uh, you know when when he gets in those positions where he can finish, he, he'll he'll finish brilliantly. I think um, Zamalik Zamalik obviously Confederation Cup winners. I think they are favourites. I think they'll surprise a lot of people. I think um, with Micho joining the team and obviously managing it, I think he'll implement his his. Uh, I think he's very good tactically. Um, I think he's a great personality, and I think that the players will respond well to him. They've even uh, added Chikabella, uh, good old Chikabella, who you know incredibly skillful, uh, but a really big leader in, in that team. And I think a lot of people respect him. Um, He's he's going to be one to watch um, in terms of leading this team, but uh, I think uh, in a whole I think the, the the two the two teams that that I really fancy are Al Ahli and Esperance. Yeah, don't expect anything for the Algerian clubs if I'm being totally honest. Yusmaf players not getting paid, owners in prison, and uh, Jessica, I don't even think they're going to qualify for the group stage. They scrape past Almerique on away goals, and uh, I think. Algerians will still be celebrating their AFCON title and not too bothered you said, about the CAF Champions League. Yeah. You said, you, you said um, we, we had a chat yesterday on yeah. the record and you said um, uh, um, you're, you're slightly biased towards Usma, obviously, because they're Algerian. Do you, do you think mm-hmm. 
they can uh, they can possibly challenge for a title. Do, do, how, how far do you think they can get? Well, my heart says they can. A couple of years ago, they got to the semi-finals, I think, but their team's been torn apart. Their fellow went to Holland. Uh, Ralph Mangui has just gone to, to Esperance in Tunisia. It's very, very difficult. Mizian has gone to the UAE. I can't see Yusma doing anything. The centre-back shaifi has gone to uh, Muradia. Zema Morsh might go to, go to the Middle East. It's tough because these guys are not getting paid and their owners yeah. locked up. And I, I can't see them causing teams any real real problems. I mean, there's just quite a gulf apart at the moment between Algeria and the rest of these sides in North Africa yeah. uh, in terms of club-level football. But that's why you see the Algerian league players not go to Europe, but actually go to Morocco or Tunisia because the standard there is better. So unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see too many Algerian threats uh, in the latter stages of the competition, Ahmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually, you know, I just wanted to kind of... Um, to add to the Al Ahli part, obviously Ali have done some good business, especially in midfield. They've added, they've added some really good um, domestic. Um, uh, he's, he's added uh, some really good um, players from the Egyptian Premier League. As you may know, um, obviously Al Ahli, they love to do their business within Egypt, um, and there's some really good players. They've, they've added uh, Mahmoud Afsha from uh, from Pyramids, um, and and he's a really good technical player. He'll add, he'll, he'll add a lot of flair to that midfield, probably in the number ten position. Saleh Guma, who, who was destined for huge things when he was younger, had trials at Man United, had trials at uh, Borussia Dortmund. Um, but he's, there's this whole idea around him that he's incredibly lazy, um, is obviously distracted by a whole lot of things outside of football. Um, and and if, he was, you know, if he was focused on football, he would be up there. Um, and I think, him personally, he, he has more talent than Mo Salah when he was younger. They, were, they played in the, in the same youth team uh, all the way up to the national team. Difference is Mo Salah knows... Um, the way up in terms of hard work, uh, he had that all installed in him since he was younger. Salah Goma is more of a he's a he's a, he's more of a spoiled player since and I think personally as well since he's been growing up everything's kind of you get the idea it's been given to him and he's never really had to hard work hard in general. Um, funny enough, his uh, his younger brother Abdullah Goma, who uh, did not get added to the Egyptian uh, you know uh, squad for Afcon and it caused huge huge. Um, issues here in the media and, and the fans, you know, they were they were shocked that he wasn't added. He scored, uh, you know, against Pyramids yesterday, uh, uh, absolute stunning goal. So he's a player to watch as well. I really think the two Egyptian teams are gonna are gonna challenge this year strongly. Um, it, it depends for me, Zamalek. It depends on how secure they're going to be and how stable they're going to be as a club because Murtada Mansour, obviously club president, is a very controversial character. Um, I was actually looking up at, since he's been at the club, how many managers he's had uh, or how many managers he's brought in. He's had 16 different managers uh, in the last five years. Now, that if that isn't, you know, uh, an absolute crazy, crazy individual who does not know what he wants at his club, then I don't know what is. <laughs> well, lots of games uh, I, to look I, forward to. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. It was so strange. I actually wanted to get Ed's opinion on the, on the Egyptian clubs from, uh, from outside looking in because um, obviously Al-Ahli are well-known. Zamalik, not so much. Probably the minority of the fan base here in Egypt. But how, how do you see it, Ed? I think with, with Zamalek, it'll be interesting to see what impact um, uh, Svidojevic can have. He's a, he's a guy who, when he gets people on side, when he gets people working for him, when he's allowed to kind of control a club, control the recruitment, bring in his team. Uh, he's a guy who can 
get improvement on individual levels with individual players, but can also get improvement from an overall, on an overall perspective, on a broader team perspective, to make kind of tangible improvements. Um, and it'll just be intriguing to see how he, a coach who's got experience of, of this level of competition, how he can um, settle in Egypt. He's kind of proved that he's adaptable, but obviously Zamalek, Cairo, Egyptian Premier League is, is quite a unique beast. And whether he can he can uh, he can get them get them settled. I think then they they've got a generation foot of Senegal in the next in the next round, which will be a really interesting uh, barometer of how he's done early on because he'll have had two weeks by then with the with the with the players. Uh, yes, yeah. it will be intriguing to see how they how they fare in that first away leg. Yeah, let's hope so. I'm uh, my my whole family are, are, are huge Zamalek fans, so. Uh... It's going to be interesting to see how they do. Uh, it, it really uh, that that really depends on on uh, you know if if hopefully the the amount of players that Murtada Mansour keeps bringing in. Um, I, I think something that that really annoys me with with uh, with the with the organisation at Zamalek is they continuously after every season, if they finish second, which is which usually happens recently with Ahli they always finish second domestically or, or don't win anything important uh, they seem to you know get rid of a whole lot of players around 9-10 every season and they bring in another 15 so how are you supposed to, to build chemistry and, and stability at the club um, at your, you know you know, with the, with, the, with the players the amount of players you keep bringing out and then bringing in uh, that is a huge concern and I think uh, you know it's, it's echoing around the club that they need stability um, and I hope they, they, they have that soon if they do they're then going to be big big um, threats to the, to the big clubs in Africa in my opinion lots and lots of drama to unfold I'm sure in the tournament hopefully we'll be talking about the CAF Champions League for the right reasons and for the on the field reasons and not the off the field reasons this Let's season so. right guys before Let's we wrap so. up uh, it's time for the part of the show that I didn't tell you was going to happen so <laughs> Who knows more about African football? It's time for the weekly African HQ quiz. Oh, yes. So this is what's going to happen. Um, I'm going to give you a topic and you are going to take it in turns to name an answer. Pretty much like a penalty shootout. So five each. And of course, if you level after five answers, I'll take you to sudden death. So are you guys ready? Can I just clarify, can I just clarify to the listeners that we had no idea about this? Except Dean, can I, I just want to. Well, there was mention of a script before. Now I'm now I'm very suspicious. <laughs> now I'm very very suspicious. <laughs> what are you telling oh, for, Ahmed? Right here we go. <laughs> Let's go with it. Then. Let's get on with it. So, all you've got to do is name players that scored two or more goals at Afcon 2019. That's all you've got to do. They have to have scored more than one goal, two goals or more, at the tournament in Egypt this summer. Okay. And you can't say the same player, guys. If one of you repeats the other, it's going to count as an incorrect answer. So, as Ed is our guest, and he's already a bit suspicious, before he runs to Ahmed Ahmed and knocks on his door, uh, you can go first. Uh, well, Belayli, we talked about him before. Uh, with two or more goals, right? Yep. That's a correct answer. Belayli scored, scored twice. 1-0 to Ed. Ahmed. Um, I've got to go with uh, with my countryman Mo Salah, of course. Yep, he scored two goals in the two minutes he was at the tournament for. That's uh, one each. Ed? Uh, Igalo, top scorer. Of course. Easy chance for the board. 2-1. Ahmed? 
Oh dear me. Okay, one second. Uh, no, no googling. Boring. What do you mean one second? No, I haven't, I haven't. I'm not googling. Hold on. Get his camera on. Get his camera on now. <laughs> no, I'm not cheating. I promise you. I promise you. I give me. I give you my words. Mares. Yes. Two each. Ed. Uh, disappointed he went out early. I'm going to go for Cedric Bakambu because I thought when he the two or three games when he played excellently, he was he looked like the most complete striker in the tournament, and he ended it with three goals in four games, which was a great return to him. Yeah, shame they went out early, Congo, but uh, that is a correct answer, of course. Three goals for him. Uh, three two to Ed. Perfect, everyone so far. Ahmed, you need to level it here. Yes, um, I. Um, you went every game, by the way. I only went to some games. I just want to throw that throw that out there. <laughs> oh, kick it I, off. I can, I, can, I can hear excuses already. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for your countryman, um, Adam Unas. Yes, of uh, course. He he was super sub. He, he reminded me of uh, of of Gedo in 2010 uh, edition at Angola. Oh, oh dear! Every time he went on with 15 minutes, Hassan Shahata brought him in. Uh, and he scored, so uh, yeah, uh, super sub. Um, um, yeah, of course, correct. Three goals at the tournament, so that's uh, three three. Ed, uh, I'm going to go for Michael Alunga of Kenya, who scored two goals in one game against Tanzania. Although he arguably shouldn't have been on the pitch after elbowing a player in the opening stages. Did he score twice though? Oh, no, I'm just trying to just trying to create some minor tension, but I know Ooh. everyone knows he's right. So, uh, four three, uh, Ahmed. If you get this one wrong, uh, you're going to set up Ed with the winning penalty. So uh, four three. What's your answer? Um, I am going to go for uh, Liverpool's other front man, uh, Sadio Mane. That's four four. Correct. Not many players left now to choose from. Four all. Over to Ed. Uh, and Nesri of Morocco. Oh, that's a great shout. His winner oh, against uh, Ivory Coast was a great goal. That's all, all he did. Yeah. <laughs> 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 against uh, Benin, the equaliser. If that was all he did, I would have lost. Yes, of course. There was a, if he was assisted by a Benin player, I would have tapped that in. 5-4. Uh, Ahmed, if you get this wrong, you've lost. I'm, I'm not sure about this, but oh. Ed mentioned this earlier. Okay. Um, he didn't, he, made, he didn't mention how many goals he had, but someone that I was really impressed with um, in this edition is Uganda's Emmanuel Okwi. Is he, is he in the, on that list? Oh, he's gone for Okwi. If you would have said Kadu, oh you'd, you'd have been wrong. If you'd have said okay, all right, okay. Mia, you'd have been wrong. Yep. But you went for Okwi. <laughs> And you are right. Oh, he squeezed oh. in there. Oh god, that's so right, guys. Uh, I'm taking you to sudden death. Five each. Not many answers left, so you've got to get your thinking hats on. Ed, over to you now. Sudden death. Two or more goals at Avcom. Uh, right, another player left a big impression. Uh, two goals in one game. I don't think he scored again. Uh, Mikhail Pote of Benin against uh, Ghana. They couldn't deal with him. That is a correct answer, and uh, he's in the latest betting squad to play Algeria next month. Ahmed, if you oh, get this wrong, you've lost. Okay, um, I remember um, I, I said, um, uh, no, not Muhammad, El Muhammadi, uh, the right back for Egypt, um, mm. was 
horrific for the whole tournament defensively, and he, mm-hmm. he gave me heart attacks all over the place. But what he did was when I meant what he did when I mentioned to you, uh, obviously Dean, you said that you know at least he scored two goals. So that's something yeah. that's still in my, in my head. I'm going to go over Mohammadi. Oh, kind of helped him there, and I. That's the correct answer. He scored in a friendly as well, didn't he, before the tournament? Yes. Don't count though. So no. Just make sure. You don't worry, Ed. Don't worry. <laughs> that's six all. And uh, still sudden death. Ed's turn. I'm running out of players, to be honest. Well, there's not many left. I think this, this might be my last one. Uh, Baghdad Buneja of Algeria. First game and last game. Ooh. Oh, that's a great shot. You know, the reflected goal, reflect goal does count as his goal, right? Yes, it's on target. But yes, that is correct. Two goals and, of course, missed a penalty against Ivory Coast. Should have made it a lot bloody easier. Uh, 7-6 to Ed. Uh, over to Ahmed. Ahmed, who are you going uh, to go for? This is this is literally my last one. Yeah. Um, after that, I'm going to go straight to guesses. I'm going to straight go straight to Google. I thought you were going to say Zaha. Uh, <laughs> Zaha is surprisingly to me, he's on there. Yes, he is. He was not even in the team at the start, was he? Oh dear me. Okay, that is uh, that is all I've got. So <laughs> right, seven all. Okay, I think there's about five or six guys left. So Ed. Five, five or six left. Yeah. <laughs> How many um, left? Four. Oh. I don't if you my, get it wrong my, and Ahmad gets his wrong, we carry on. <laughs> no, we can be doing this for hours. <laughs> my world is running dry. Um, I don't know if Trezeguet got two. Oh. Got one. I don't know if he got a second. That's not, I'm not sure that's my final answer. All right, Chris Tarrant, who are you going for? <laughs> um, I've got no one else. I've got no one else. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. Chupa Moting. Ooh, he's gone for Chupo Moting. Did he score at all? <laughs> let alone two goals. <laughs> um, I'm afraid that's an incorrect answer, Ed. I'm so sorry, Ooh. but. Uh, he did not score oh. two goals or more yeah, at the tournament. Uh, in fact, I don't think he scored at all. But there we go. Uh, I don't know if he thought he scored two. Uh, I can let you in a little something here. I actually had a bit of a fallout with uh, Mr. Clarence Seydorf, um after game one. And <laughs> Who didn't? so I uh, didn't watch any Cameroon games thereafter. Yeah. And uh, therefore, my Cameroon recollections of the tournament are somewhat murky. And that's not an excuse, that's just an explanation. But. I'm going to take the hit on people Ed's missed his pen he's done a Mane which is what Mane did at the tournament and he always missed a penalty so Armour you have to get yeah I was I was going to go for Kazri I remember he scored a um, a free kick but then I actually started I I remember actually in the second I'm hoping I know he scored one I'm hoping he scored the second I'm going to go for Masekni of Tunisia if he scored Two or more, you've won. I'm sure he had one. And you are absolutely right, Ahmed. Oh, exactly. He did like score two. Can I, we, I, I, can I, we I, just I, get I, a VAR I, check on that, though? Because you know what Tunisians are like with VAR. Oh, <laughs> it's all getting ugly. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like the perfect it. way to end the pod, honestly. <laughs> yeah, That's I, an 8 I, 7 I, win. Pardon? It's an 8 7 win to you. Oh well, listen. Any any time I I I get to go, you know, head to head with with Ed and I win in any topic is a, is a good day for me. So um, yeah, I'm proud of that. 
Uh, before yeah, we go, no, I've just got, I'm sure noted. He's let me down here. Let me down a big way. He didn't even score one, <laughs> let alone score two. So what's happened there? I boycotted Cameroon with with Saint. I just didn't. I thought he scored twice against Nigeria or something. To be fair, we, we we have been quite. We we did get quite far on the list. So uh, so yeah, I was I was really uh, I was I was guessing at that point. To be honest, so who was, was, was the other five or six players we didn't get? Right, let's, well, there's not many left. So. There was one Cameroon player, Bahoken, who you could have said. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Two. You could have what said Jordan Ayew. I did say Jordan Ayew. Did you? There was no Jordan Ayew. Oh, I did. No, you, you... Oh, no. Listen, mate, you could have a definite VAR oh, no. on that. I've got a footage and everything. Ghanaians <laughs> <laughs> are going to be screaming yeah. out there in the, the Ghanaian list. Oh, Jordan, I'm so sorry. I'm so... I thought I'd said him. Oh, dear. Mohamed Yatara from oh. Guinea scored two. And what about Andre of Madagascar? This, the uh, yeah, Andrea scored twice. Yeah, yes, that's that's the one actually. One of the fairy tales of the tournament. We we should have got that actually. It was a couple more. Kodja from Ivory Coast scored two, and uh, there is one more name, and that's from South Africa, Zungu, who uh, who did he score against in the tournament again, Ahmed. Uh, <laughs> no comment. Uh, let's, let's wrap this up. <laughs> he scored the hair against Namibia and he scored against, against Nigeria. So it wasn't against Egypt, actually. So there you go, Dean. Hello, was it? I was just winding you up. <laughs> well, um, well, yeah, no, obviously, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a really good segment you came up with. Actually, you genuinely did surprise me, Dean. So uh, it, was, it was actually great, great fun, actually. That's a cool one. Sorry to say with you know, a bit of a dubious penalty, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not everyone's happy with that segment, to be honest. Jordan, Jordan <laughs> I and myself are seething. <laughs> oh dear. Um, yeah, so that's um, actually, I, I just wanted to kind of um, obviously personally thank uh, Ed for coming on because, uh, yeah, it was it was uh, quite recent. We, me and started talking, and it's an absolute you know, a pleasure to have him on the podcast, and hopefully, it can be a regular thing. Yeah, just uh, I'll get the next time, all right? <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> I'll have to make it a little bit more easier next time because uh, obviously Ed is not as brushed up on his Cameroonian forwards as he thought it was. So, <laughs> I'd like to personally thank everyone for uh, listening today. Careful, I nearly said watching then. Listening. Thank you to everyone for listening to this African HQ debut podcast. Uh, hopefully, we did score on our debut. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. And uh, be sure to check out our future podcasts with me and Ahmed. We'll always be on them every week, and uh, you might have to put up a bed again. Yes, <laughs> and and also let's uh, let's obviously uh, mention that uh, obviously the, the launch of African HQ will be first of September, which um, ironically is on Dean's birthday. So uh, that's, uh, that's why are uh, we dropping that in there? Come on. <laughs> and uh, and obviously it would uh, it would be cool. Obviously we're going to get a lot of. Uh, African content on there, um, on the Twitter. We've got big plans for a website, hopefully by the end of this year. And um, and yeah, give us a follow and, and give us a listen. Um, obviously, Ed, have you got a Twitter so people can follow you on that? Yeah, uh, Eddie Dove, Eddie with a Y, D-O-V-E. Amazing. Dean? Listen, if you don't know me, where you been, right? We are <laughs> the African champions in English, as I now call us. So, uh, DZFootball underscore EN. If you want to check out some top quality Algerian football content, uh, where we're good. just we're gearing up to uh, having Algeria play uh, at home as champions for the first time, and also we've got our Chan qualifiers against Morocco, who are the holders. So 
Uh, lots of stuff coming up, so check us out if you like our gym football, if you don't, check us out regardless. Um, and obviously you can get me on uh, arms underscore Osman, which is A-H-M-Z underscore Osman. And, uh, and yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, thank you, Dean, for obviously hosting this. Um, and again, thank you, Ed. Um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be hopefully a good couple of weeks. We've got some, uh, good, we've got some good guests lined up. Let's just say it's a, it's a big surprise. So, uh, obviously keep listening and, uh, we're going to bring some good content to you. Yep. I just want to thank Ed again for coming on. Always, uh, great when people give up their time and appreciate it to come on and talk about African football. It's a, it's a passion. It's a pleasure. We all love it. And, uh, just, uh, once again, big thanks to Ed for coming on. And uh, yeah, that's it. That concludes it. Thank you to everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time with more fantastic African football content.